Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. The following is an intimate conversation about the realities of giving birth, and it may not be appropriate for sensitive ears. On today's episode... If your pipe was leaking, even a little drip, even if it was going drip, drip, that would still not be normal. Why then do we think that leaking is normal for us as women? It doesn't have to be something that you live with because there's actually help for it. Women don't know that there is help or don't recognize that there is help. They've been told by everybody and then some that this is normal, including other women, including their mom, their sister, their aunts, their friends. Oh yeah, this happens to me. Then you have like this whole sisterhood of the peeing pan. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, you're listening to The Birth Podcast. I'm your host, Christy Williams. And today on the show, I'm chatting with Dr. Joanne Michelle Martin, who is not only a pelvic floor physical therapist and pelvic health expert, She is a fantastic educator, a birth doula, and a mommy of two. So she really understands what women's bodies go through during the pregnancy and birth process. And a big part of her work includes helping women heal and thrive after experiencing all those changes that happen to our bodies as a result of giving birth. We talk about common problems that women experience in the pelvic floor region after having a baby painful sex. Is that ever normal? How long should that last if you're experiencing it and when to reach out for help? She answers questions like, is it ever normal to pee a little bit when you sneeze? What sort of pelvic pain is normal in pregnancy? What is a prolapse and how common is that? What are some of the changes that women who have had C-sections should be aware of? And so much more. I ask her what she thinks of kegels and her answer might surprise you. We had a really fun time chatting online. She's based out of Atlanta, Georgia. And as usual, we talk about all that stuff that no one tells you before you give birth, all that embarrassing stuff, all that awkward stuff. We are getting into it again today. My biggest takeaway from this conversation is really that no matter what physical difficulties that may arise or you may experience as a result of birthing a baby, there is help available for you. You can most definitely work with Dr. Martin or with someone like her to get the help that you need to feel back in control of your body and to feel back like yourself again. I really hope you come away from this episode feeling as enlightened and hopeful as I did. So let's just get into it without further ado. This is my chat with Dr. J.M. Martin. Enjoy. I'm such a fan of your Instagram platform and your podcast and the way that you're using your valuable time to educate and empower women about their bodies. And so thank you for that work that you're doing because, you you know, it's so important. And um, how did you end up with this passion for pelvic health? How did that become your focus? Can you tell me a little bit about yourself and, and how you got here? Yeah. So thank you so, so much for having me. For those listening, I'm Dr. Joanne Michelle Martin, pelvic floor physical therapist located in Atlanta. Um, I've been a practicing clinician for 13 years and I didn't call it, it called me kind mm. of thing. Um, Cause coming out of PT school, I was a, you know, an athlete. I played on the national team, national level, travel internationally. And that was kind of where I was headed. 
like that was my population I was going to work with. But pretty much straight out the gate, I started working with pregnant and postpartum women. Hmm. And I loved it. It was fun. It was it was great because it was more than just, you know, when you work with an athlete, you kind of get to see them. Okay, they're injured. And now we kind of get them through that rehabilitated process. And then they're gone. Well, it's like with the pregnant women, they're pregnant, we get them through pregnancy, they have the baby and we get to keep on going like, you know, like there's this continuity and now there's a baby involved, there's a cute little person. And so that was my reward. Um, <laughs> and I really enjoyed it. I, I absolutely enjoyed it. I was living in New York when I first came out of school. And so after I moved to Atlanta, I had started to work adjacent to a trauma surgeon. And so while I was still seeing some pregnant and postpartum women, what I also saw, especially of his clients, were women with pelvic fractures. Mm. And so that lended a different dynamic. And that was where, for me, my interest became even more um, increased because even with, with, you know, addressing the orthopedic portion of the injury, there was still like, I'm like, yeah, still something missing, like we need to do more. And it was really trying to make sure that that pelvic floor was functioning optimally and then kind of looking at more of the nuances of everything going on, because we know that the pelvis houses, you know, the bladder, the rectum, the sex organ. So there's kind of a whole lot going on there. Um, and so I just continued, you know, continued education and continued working with this population. And I mean, I just, I just love it. <laughs> I mean, you just described, you know, all the things that the pelvis holds is, is all the major stuff and activity, all, all you know? Things. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> and it's so crazy because really, honestly, before I gave birth, I never really even knew that there was such a thing as pelvic floor physical therapy. Like I, you know, I never had a reason to even like think about it, but could you just sort of describe for the listeners, like exactly what is pelvic floor physical therapy? Yeah, pelvic floor physical therapy is the specialty is a subspecialty of physical therapy, whereby we focus on the pelvis, the, the muscles therein, and all the contents. We're not just focusing on the pelvic floor itself. I know the name just kind of lends itself to ooh, pelvic floor, that's it. But we're usually looking at, you know, the the skeletal structure. So we're looking at the person's orthopedically skeletal muscle, um, the neurology, because again, there are nerves just like any other part of the body. There are nerves coursing through the area responsible for your sensation and also for activation of, of these muscles. Mm. Um, we're also looking at the organs because again, the organ function can be impaired through the pelvic floor muscles. It can be impaired because of the neurology. And so there's quite a lot going on in addition to looking at that. So we've got the bladder, we've got the, the rectum. We've got, you know, the sex organs. So, you know, the uterus, the ovaries, all that good stuff if you're female. And for the males, we've got your prostate, the penis. Um, and so we are also looking at the gut. So oftentimes you'll find that for a lot of the, mm. especially the chronic pain conditions, there can be a gut component and the intestines just sit right above the pelvis anyway. So it's like everything in and around that area is fair game. We're also looking at, you know, the joints that are closely associated. So we look at the spine, everybody thinks, Oh, the spine, and then it kind of just dead ends. And it's mm -hmm. like, No, well, the spine, you know, the lumbar spine kind of, you know, is adjacent to the sacrum, and the sacrum and the coccyx form the, the back part or the posterior part of the pelvis. 
So there is going to be some interplay there. There is going to be some, you know, some overlap. So it's really a whole lot going on in that region. Yeah, it's crazy. And and I'm curious about something. When I was preparing to give birth, okay, I read that there are four types of pelvises and sometimes your mm-hmm. type of pelvis can change, you know, the way that the baby comes down through your body. Is that true? So when you look at the pelvis, you're, you're, that's looking at the orthopedic structure. And from a structural component, there's not a whole lot that we can do. You know, your structure is your structure. Some people, you know, may have a more difficult time and it depends on how they're shaped. So the average woman tends to have wider hips. So you'll find that the pelvis tends to be wider on the top, narrow on the bottom versus like if you looked at a male pelvis, it's kind of more symmetrical. But you'll find that if you have someone with a narrow hip, it's not that they could not have an easier time with the baby. But, you know, the likelihood, you know, now we start to get into, well, is some people that this is happening to, is it more often? They might have a harder time, especially if we're talking about a bigger baby. If it's a smaller baby, may not, you know, they may be just fine. So it really just depends. This is one of those, it depends situations. Mm -hmm. But typically, when you're looking at the female pelvis, it tends to be a lot wider especially um, at the superior portions or the top part of the pelvis relative to like, let's say a male pelvis, which tends to not be, it tends to be a little bit narrower. Okay. Okay. Interesting. But you have all sorts of shapes in between there. Uh, Okay. (laughs) Um, During the end of my pregnancy, I started experiencing a lot of, you know, lower back pain. And it was almost like when I was walking around my, my pelvis felt like it was um, elastic, you know, and I know that that is common, your body's preparing to give birth. And it's, you know, it's common to feel a little wobbly, like that at the end of your of your pregnancy. But (laughs) what's happening there with the wobbliness, you know, and and what kind of pain in pregnancy in your pelvis is normal? And when should you be concerned? So I'll I'll answer that first part first. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about, quote, unquote, wobbliness, air quotes, A lot of the times, you know, women are are being told, oh, your pelvis is going to be unstable because you're pregnant. The pelvis is actually made up of a ton of ligaments. There are lots of ligaments that support the pelvis all around. What tends to happen is, though, is that we have a change in the hormones during pregnancy. We also have the presence of relaxin, which helps to, to create a little bit more laxity within the ligaments, within the structure itself, not to the point of instability, but to make that process of birthing the baby a little bit easier. So it's just like, okay, your body knows the baby's in there. And now there's certain things that happen to facilitate getting this baby out. That being said, I think the main culprit, because we oftentimes give relax in a hard time, Okay, but everybody that's pregnant will have relaxant in their system. Not everybody will necessarily have the same symptoms. What is actually occurring is that we've got some physiologic changes wherein now that the baby is growing, it's going to cause a change in our center of gravity or center of mass. It's going to cause some postural changes. Because of these postural changes, we may have a little bit, we'll have some variation in the pelvis position. We may have some stretching going on to some of the ligaments, some of the muscles. As a result, we may have some tension in some other areas. So those things in and of itself can lend itself to the pain and the discomfort that some women will feel, whether it's more muscular pain, whether we're talking about joint pain, especially in and around the SI joint. You should not be miserable and uncomfortable. You shouldn't be miserable and uncomfortable for nine months. That's just nuts. 
about 80% of women will report back pain and or pelvic girdle pain. So it's not just back pain, they might have hip pain, they may have pubic symphysis dysfunction. So anything going on in and around that pelvis, we also have to factor in that, you know, what are we doing during the day? Are you sitting all day? Are you kind of moving all day? Are you doing kind, you know, laborious tasks? Or, you know, so what does your typical day look like? And sometimes for some people, they can't manage or maintain the level of activity they would, let's say for work, because a lot of women, you know, continue to work right through the end, they may not be able to maintain that, you know, those tasks, throughout their pregnancy, given the changes that are occurring. So that in and of itself can lend, you know, to the stress that the muscles are feeling that the joints are feeling, and to some of the pain that she's also experiencing. Mm, Yeah, thank you for explaining that. Because, you know, I always just attributed it to like, oh, my pelvis is just changing right now because of this relaxing hormone. And that's why it's painful. But this makes total sense that it's obviously everything contributes. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the whole reasons I started this podcast is uh, it seems like every new mother that I talk to is pretty surprised by some aspect of the side effects of giving birth. And one of Mm -hmm. the most common things that I hear is that women are very surprised by how much their relationship with their vagina and their core has changed after giving birth. You know, there's um, sort of a a new discovery for a lot of women about Mm -hmm what that relationship is. A lot of women have to heal from, you know, certain traumas or C-sections or um, personally, I had an episiotomy and that was a whole journey recovering from that. It was a lot different than I anticipated and Mm -hmm. I was not prepared for that. In your experience, what are some of the potential changes that can happen to a woman's vagina and vulva and also just your pelvis in general as a result of giving birth? What's some of the common reasons that people might come to see you as as a result of changes in their body because of birth, both vaginally and C-section? Mm-hmm. I will say this because a lot of people often think that there have been a lot of, of changes in appearance. And sometimes that may not necessarily be the case. And I often will tell women, what is your what was your relationship with your vagina before you got pregnant? And oftentimes, many women have no idea. They didn't even know what it looked like before. So they really don't have a frame of reference as well. Um, So I just kind of caution people on that, because then we get on the bandwagon where we start looking, you know, on the interwebs, and we start seeing these things. And we go, I don't look like that. Oh, my God, there's something wrong with me. Mm. And you know, and, and that can that can be a bit much for, you know, consider that you're postpartum, some some women tend to be a little bit more impressionable. Um, you know, there, there's a lot going on. And that's like the last thing you need is somebody telling you, yeah, you're not normal, you know. Mm. Um, that being said, though, when we go through pregnancy, yes, we're going to have changes in the sense of now you're birthing this baby, you might have had tearing, you know, you had an episiotomy, um, there are some women that tear naturally to different degrees. And so because of that, now, we may have a little bit of change within the the integrity of the tissue. So maybe not as taut when it's healed, or maybe, you know, now we've had some scarring, either or. Um, We may have some women who have had a prolapse, whereby they now have that feeling of pressure, heaviness in the pelvis, Um, they may or may not see something coming out of the vagina, it might feel as though something is oftentimes it's not in some cases it is in some cases, you know, there's like, Oh, wait, what's that that wasn't there before. Can you just explain what a prolapse is just in case people don't have reference for that? Oh, yeah. 
So prolapse, prolapse just means descent, and it's where the pelvic organs tend to descend into the into the pelvic cavity, sometimes to the, the point of severity whereby they're they're exiting the vaginal opening. And so usually with birth, childbirth is one of the processes that can change the integrity of the tissues in the area. For example, they stretch the pelvic floor muscles. If the pelvic floor muscles are stretched, they can be weakened. So now because a strong muscle needs to be able to shorten and lengthen. And if it's overly stretched, then it can't really shorten and engage as much as it, you know, it would be able to prior. And so that that decreases the amount of support that the pelvic floor can give the organs, um, which is one of the primary functions of the pelvic floor to support the pelvic organs. And as a result, those organs tend to descend into the pelvic cavity. Now, again, there are varying degrees of that. So you may have the bladder descending down onto the vaginal wall, you may have the rectum descending on the posterior wall, you can have the uterus descending um, on top. You may have a little bit of everything going on. It just really depends on, on the situation, depends on, on the level of, of, you know, lack of structural integrity, so to speak, in the area. But sometimes, you know, in, in severe cases, you may find that women are saying, you know, well, I feel something when I wipe, I feel something in the way. Or I go to the bathroom and I notice something that wasn't, I don't think I've noticed that before. Um, whereby they just feel like something has exited the vaginal wall. And oftentimes it could be to the point where the bladder has prolapsed or descended so much onto the vaginal opening. Because again, remember the vaginal, the vagina is a muscle. It's, you know, so it's smooth muscle tissue. And that muscle stretches as the baby comes out to allow the baby to come out. So now that, the, you know, again, the structure is going to be a little bit compromised. And so now if you've got the bladder putting pressure there, you know, that's kind of stretching that tissue a little bit. And so if it's not strong enough to withstand that, then the bladder kind of descends down through that vaginal. So it's not breaking the tissue, but it is, you know, there is a stretch going on there to where it's descended down. Mm. So that's the prolapse. And some women may notice that again, the typical symptoms of that are, you know, I feel a heaviness um, in the pelvis. I feel heaviness in my bladder. I feel like something is going to fall out of my vagina. I feel like, you know, I can't empty my bladder completely. Maybe they go to the bathroom and they try to urinate. They have difficulty starting the stream of urine or they feel like, hey, you know, I go to pee, but not everything is coming out. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like maybe when I, I have to change position or when I stand up and walk over to the sink to wash my hands and I feel like, oh, wait, there's the rest of it and I have to go back. Maybe they feel like they're not emptying their bowels completely again because that prolapse changes, you know, just a lot of the, the, the trajectory of where that the feces would come out of. And so now they there's, you know, there can be what we would call pocketing, um, whereby, you know, it's it's not like a smooth road coming out. And they're like, oh, I feel like I can't empty completely. Mm. The other thing that happens and, and oftentimes surprises a lot of people is there the intimacy. Mm-hmm. So a lot of women will report pain with sex. Um, the numbers tend to be uh, tend to be higher, um, the closer. So you know, we we have a baby and six weeks later, we go to the doctor. And the question is usually, you want birth control? Mm-hmm. No? Okay, see you in a year. You know, that's right. literally it. Oh, yeah, you can, you can do whatever you want to do. And, and most people are like, what does that even mean? Yeah. You know, and then they're like, Okay, well, I can do whatever I want to do. And they go attempt to have sex. And For some people, it is horrendous. And and these are some of the things that have been, it's been described as, you know, it's, it's painful, it's horrendous. Oh, my God, I don't want my husband to touch me. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say everybody is going to have this problem. But a lot of women do 
Yeah. Thank you for raising awareness to that because, you know, there is mm-hmm. this sort of myth that exactly what you said, do you want birth control? Okay, go on your way. And nobody really talks about it. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's really, really important what you said. Yeah. And so a lot of women will complain of pain with intercourse and to the point where, you know, they no longer want to have intercourse because it hurts and it makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if you hurt, if something hurts or bothers you, you typically go back. Are you like a sucker for punishment? No, you don't go back. You know, you try mm-hmm. to avoid it. The difference is, especially in the, within the confines of a committed relationship, it's almost like an expectation. And so I talk to women a lot about redefining the expectations with regards to intimacy (laughs) um, after they've had a baby and not that, no, I'm never going to have sex again. But one of the biggest things that the the most helpful things is going to be to communicate with your partner, you know, and for partners to be aware and for partners to listen to podcasts like these and to listen to shows like these so that they can kind of say, hey, oh, wait, oh, that's really happening because a lot of them don't know. Mm-hmm. We wish they knew, but the reality is, is a lot of them just don't know. Mm-hmm. They don't get it, right? When a woman's in pain, she's like, yeah, no, I'm not doing that again. I mean, I've, I've had clients that have been like, I had sex, it hurts, not happening again. Okay. I mean, I had one person to the point where all of her pain was gone, but she was just like, she's just like, I'm, I'm intimidated by it. I just don't want to have sex. You know, she, she wasn't having any of the pain that she came in for. And so that, you know, then it was like, okay, tell you what, I'm going to go ahead and make a referral for you to go see the sex therapist. Um, that way, if there are any things that you and hubby need to work out, you can, you know, and, and you can do so without him. And when appropriate, you can do so with him. And, you know, the sex therapist will guide you through that. But again, giving people the space and empowering people enough to where that it's okay. And they're not feeling, you know, you're not being shamed for it or anything like that. But a lot of women, yep, will have pain. And, you know, the research has shown that even a year post postpartum, about 30% of women, so one in every three women will still have pain with sex. So it is very, very common. Yeah, that is, I mean, it's one of these like best kept secrets, I feel like of <laughs> giving birth mm-hmm. because nobody talks about it. And you're absolutely right. It's like, how can your partner know unless you tell them? And it's hard to do that mm-hmm. sometimes, especially your first child. Cause you know, it's like, this used to be the part of my body that gave me joy and that was fun. And now it gives me pain. And that is what's confusing. Mm-hmm. I think that's why a lot of women feel very confused about their relationship with a vagina for that reason, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's really great that you refer people to a sex therapist. I think that's brilliant advice for anyone listening. You know, if you're still struggling to connect, be empowered to like do that. If you don't have a doctor like yourself, that's, you know, going to refer you. That's awesome. I'm just curious how, how common are prolapses? I don't really know anyone personally who's fessed up to having one, you know, because it's obviously a very intimate thing. But is that something that you see often? Prolapse is something that I see often. And so the two primary reasons that you would see an individual with a prolapse is going to be after childbirth or round about menopause. Mm. Childbirth, one, because of the birthing process, especially if we've got second stage of labor. So that active portion of labor is longer than two hours, because that's a lot of stretch and pressure on that pelvic floor. So it can weaken that pelvic floor substantially. But also when we go into the menopausal period, you have a change in the hormones. And so with the estrogen decreasing, that lends itself to changes in the tissue. And because of that, 
again, within the changes in the tissue, we can get some weakening there. Um, so again, loss of structural integrity that can lead to prolapse. The research has shown, though, that sometimes you could have a prolapse and be asymptomatic. So the, the symptoms and the, the physical findings don't always correlate. So you could have someone who's like, oh, there's something there. And they're not having any pain. They're not having any pressure. They're not having any feeling of discomfort. I actually had a patient like this hmm. who was referred to me by her midwife. So the midwife had gone in to do a checkup with her. It was one of the postpartum checkups. I want to say maybe two weeks or so or three weeks. And, you know, the patient was like, is this normal? And she'd gone to the bathroom and like she just kind of, there, she's like, there's something there. And she just kind of pushed it back in and just went on her way. She didn't have any pain. She wasn't having anything. And so that's how she got referred to me. Wow. And again, she was asymptomatic. Mm. No pain. So what we were working on was awareness. Okay. We had to work on a lot of awareness because like she, you know, her thing was she didn't have a good bit of awareness in the pelvic floor region. We worked on some coordination and then ultimately some strengthening to that area. But again, no symptoms. Whereas I've had people with symptoms and their prolapse hadn't, it wasn't substantial. It wasn't like a, a big, you know, their four phases of prolapse and they probably were in that mild range, mm. but they were like doubled over in pain, a lot of abdominal pressure, mm. all these different things. And so it can vary from person to person. It's also how people perceive pain as well. So. Right. Right. What are some of the like warning signs, you know, that people can be aware of so that they can make an appointment with someone like you sooner rather than later? So again, for prolapse, definitely, if you're feeling that heaviness in the abdomen, in the pelvic floor region, in the pelvis, feeling of pressure, feeling as though something is going to fall out, any pain, pain with sex mm -hmm. um, can also be attributed to a prolapse. But outside of just a prolapse, if you are having, if you've had a long labor, if you've, again, active labor greater than two hours, if you have had a substantial tear, so we're talking a third or a fourth degree tear. If you have had, if you're continuing to have pain with intercourse, and I mean, you could be a year postpartum. If you've had a cesarean birth, and I always put these individuals in there because they're seldom given any information mm. postpartum. A lot of them are just told, okay, just keep your, your incision clean and dry, and we'll see you, you know, in how many ever weeks. And that's really it. And a lot of women who don't know, and, and the thing is, you don't know what you don't know. Exactly. So a lot of women who don't know and who haven't been given the guidance, they're afraid to move. They're afraid to do things. They're like, I don't, I feel like I might hurt it. I don't know what to do. Um, you know, different things like that. And there may be some things that may be exacerbating it. Again, I talk to all my postpartum clients about toilet hygiene. You know, how are you sitting on the toilet? What are you doing? Are you bearing down, which you shouldn't be to have a bowel movement? What does your nutrition look like? Because if you're bearing down, there's two things going on. Either we don't have enough fiber, we need to eat better, or we're not hydrated enough. Mm. So we need to address those things right there. You know, do we need to, you know, and I've had women who say, but I don't like vegetables. Okay, that's fine. Do we need to get some supplemental fiber in there? Mm. We'll always go for the low hanging fruit. I'm not going to fight you. If you, <laughs> if you don't like vegetables, I can't make you like vegetables. Right, right. So let's go for the low hanging fruit. Okay, great. You don't like vegetables? Well, we still need to get some fiber in there. Can we do some benefiber? Can we do some psyllium husk? Can we do some chia seeds? Can we do some flax seeds? Things of that sort. Can we start incorporating those things into your diet? And then slowly start to pick up, you know, 
one serving of vegetables here and there, one serving of fruit here and there until we kind of build you up. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes that's a huge thing and people don't even know, they don't realize that that constipation can be contributing to some of the pelvic floor issues that they've got going on. Wow. Yeah. Everything seems to be connected. Huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if someone does have all the things you mentioned, or they have a, a major tear or whatever, I mean, how long should a woman wait until they come see you if they're still experiencing pain, you know, and what sort of treatments and therapies exist to help women heal from specifically, an, you know, episiotomy or tearing and all that with someone like you? I'll see some of my clients, especially the ones that I've worked with during their pregnancy. Sometimes I see them as early as two, three weeks postpartum because I want to go ahead and check them. I want to start tuning into that pelvic floor. So I have them start with breath work and I have them start with some light movement we look at how they're doing things around the home. Sometimes it's not a matter of what you do, but how you do it. And looking even at a postpartum ergonomic assessment, so to speak, you know, how are you lifting that car seat? How are you lifting that stroller? You know, because we don't think the doctor will say, okay, don't like, for instance, with a cesarean, don't lift anything heavy. But then, you know, we want them to move. So we want them to walk, right? And if they could take gentle walks, that'd be great. But let's say now this is a mom who is taking her child to the pediatrician's office. Dad may be at work, right? Mm-hmm. That daggone stroller weighs like 30 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> and you're saying, don't lift anything more than five pounds, for example. Well, the baby weighs eight. Yeah. You know, it's not sometimes a matter of avoiding completely, but how can we make this more efficient for moms? How can we help moms move a little bit better? How can we make movement safer for moms so that they're not exacerbating any of the issues that they already have? So in those, when I see women that early, that's a lot of the stuff that I'm going through with them. And if the partner is available with them too, because then they can become a huge help for mom. But also as we start to discuss things like, hey, all right, you know, you're going to see your doctor in six weeks and, you know, these are going to be the things that they may discuss. Hubby, I want you to be aware of this, you know, no pressuring, because ultimately, she's got to be ready. You Mm -hmm. know, the doctor can give you the all clear, but if she's not comfortable, you know, here are some things you can do because everybody again thinks penetrative sex is where it's at. Mm -mm. But 70 to 75% of women orgasm with clitoral stimulation. Mm -hmm. So if that's the case, let's just have fun. Mm. Just, you know, do everything but the penetration, you know, let's, let's kind of reframe what, what, pleasure and what what you know good sex looks like you know it doesn't necessarily always mean penetration and what that can do as well is it takes the stress out of the situation if she's not having to be worried in the back of her mind oh my god he's gonna put it in it's gonna hurt hurt." you know if she doesn't have to be worried about that then she's gonna relax a little bit yeah Mm -hmm. so i tell people i'm like this is a new stage learn each other all over again yeah just a new stage learn each other and you might find that there may be things that you might have liked before you don't like as much now there may be things that all of a sudden you're like ooh, that feels great Mm-hmm. go for it, you know, lean into that a little bit more. So, you know, having women, seeing women typically that early is, has its benefits. Hey, it's Christy just interrupting this conversation real quick to remind you that there's a very, very, very valuable resource that I've made for you. It's our website, 
thebirthshow.com. You can see what I packed in my hospital bag, which items my postpartum nurse gave me to help me with healing, what breastfeeding and bottle feeding supplies I highly recommend, birthshow.com. Go check it out and send the link to anyone you know who might be preparing to give birth and are wondering how best to be equipped and prepared for that, birthshow.com. Typically, I will tell women that once they have gone for their postpartum follow-up, if they're still noticing any symptoms, if they're still leaking. So you're six to eight weeks postpartum. Do you mean leaking urine? Leaking urine or leaking feces because those third degree, um, those third and fourth degree perineal tears can lend themselves to leaking feces, especially that fourth degree, because now we've torn the sphincter. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we need to make sure that we're mindful of that. So you might be smearing your underwear, you know, you feel like, oh, I have some gas or wait, I can't control my gas. And every time I, you know, I I let some gas go, I lose something in my underwear, Mm. you know, things of that sort, or are you finding that you're leaking, you can't cough, sneeze or laugh without peeing. Or you might feel like, you know, I still have a lot of tenderness, you know, did you have did you have a big tear? Did you have to have a lot of stitches? You know, is that area still tender? Are you having some scarring there? Everybody heals differently, there are going to be some people who tend to scar a little bit more, in general, you know, with with healing. Thank you for saying that. Because I sort of wondered that if maybe I was having more trouble with my scar because of my scar tissue, or, you know, it's like something that you just don't know, because I have another mom friend who had an episiotomy and has had no problems, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's interesting that that is actually true, you know, that the scar tissue maybe is worse in some people, would you say? Well, you look at some people keloid, others don't, right? you know, some people I might have a scratch and, you know, it doesn't even look like it's there. You might have a scratch and by God, you have like the worst bruise and the worst swelling. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it. everybody, everyone's body is so different. And that's another big thing is being able to look at people individually. Um, the other thing is, is that coming off of the heels of pregnancy, a lot of women are very, very consumed with activity and return to activity. And so I like to see women early to ensure that we're looking at safe movement, safe practices, and then safe return to activity, especially fitness. So I'm a certified pre and postnatal coach. Um, I train women. I do a lot of fitness work. I work with, you know, CrossFitters, runners, what have you. And part of it is, is we've got to change the narrative that's being said in our society. You know, like I need to be fit now. Mm. I need to be able to run a 10K tomorrow. I just pushed the baby out today. That's okay. They're going to discharge me. And I want to run that 10K like the day after. And it's like, blow your brakes, mama. Like, let's, let's allow your body some time to heal. I love that you have goals. I love that. And we're going to take that fire and we're going to take that enthusiasm and we're going to create program and design something for you to be able to reach those goals. Okay. But you want and, and, and giving them markers for success so that they don't feel like they're falling off the wagon and that the goals that they have aren't attainable, but allowing them to recognize that your body needs to heal, mm. that you go through 10 months of changes, posturally, physically, muscles change, muscle stretch, your alignment changes, all these things happen, then baby comes out. We, we can't necessarily expect all those things to go back. And it really ha- it really depends on what kind of pregnancy did you have? 
Were you active during that pregnancy? What if you were, you had morning sickness the whole time you had no energy, you just didn't feel like, you know, so you didn't do any activity, you didn't work out, you know, you can't realistically expect your body to just be in gym mode the next day. So it takes time. And the very first thing that we need to focus on is just nourishing our bodies and just healing, Mm. just nourishing and healing. And once we've done that, then we start working on movement helping our bodies appreciate movement again. And then once we've done that, then we can start adding on from there. Wow. That's a great point of view. Cause that's something I honestly haven't really thought about is that that is a part of our society is like snap back right away. Is there anything that you don't do? You, <laughs> you coach, you do physical therapy. I also know that you're a doula, right? Mm-hmm. Which is yeah. amazing. I mean, with all of your experience and wisdom and knowledge to also be able to support women. Do you do it during birth and after just birth dueling? Just so birth. I don't do any postpartum. Yeah. No postpartum doula services, but I do offer virtual support or in-person support. And well, with COVID that's, you know, not every hospital is allowing um, for a support person to be in there outside of, let's say the spouse or, you know, mom's partner. And so being able to at least offer virtual support is great. Yeah. I wanted to talk for one second about the incontinence problem mm-hmm. that a lot of women have just because, and you already covered this a little bit, but I'm just wondering, there's sort of this idea that a little bit of urine leaking out when you laugh or when you sneeze after you become a mom, you know, is kind of considered normal. I, you know, at least like that I've heard in my friend group, I mm-hmm. had a, a mom friend who she confessed that, you know, she gave birth a few years ago and she still pees a little bit every time she sneezes. That's not normal, right? That is not normal. And I tell people this, if your pipe was leaking, so let's say you try to turn off the pipe and you had a big old gush, like the water was still flowing rapidly, that would be a problem. If your pipe was leaking, even a little drip, even if it was going drip, 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 like that would still not be normal because if we don't address that, your water bill is still going to go up pretty high. <laughs> yeah. So at no point in time does anybody think that leaking of anything, you know, whether it's your faucets leaking, there's a leak in your house, anything of the sort, does anybody think leaking is normal? Why then do we think that leaking is normal for us as women? Mm-hmm. Yeah, It's not normal. It, it happens, but it's not something that, in a normally functioning and optimally functioning system, it wouldn't occur. And so what I often hear a lot of women say is, well, I only leak a little. Oh, I don't have incontinence. And so I usually will refrain, rephrase my question because anytime, you know, women come in and I said, you know, are you having any issues with incontinence? Are you having any issues leaking? Well, I don't have any incontinence. I mean, every now and again, what's every now and again, like maybe a couple times a week. So what happens a couple times a week? You know, maybe I'll, I'll leak a few drops. What are you doing when you leak these few drops? Well, when I work out. Is it every time you work out? Well, I mean, but it's only a few drops. And it's like we try to continue to justify mm. that this is okay. It's not okay. Right. You know, and ultimately I tell people it comes down to this. You know, there are some people who have become content with wearing a pad. And I'm like, if that's you and that's where you feel like you end up and like, you know, then then that's that's your decision. But ultimately understand that it doesn't have to be something that is a new normal for you. And it doesn't have to be something that you live with because there's actually help for it. 
And I think part of that is, is that women don't know that there is help or don't recognize that there is help. They've been told by, you know, everybody and then some that this is normal, including other women. Exactly. Including their mom, their sister, their aunts, you know, their friends. Oh, yeah, this happens to me. And, you know, then you have like this whole sisterhood of the peeing pants um, (laughs) where, where it's like. Everybody in the mom's group was like, oh, yeah, that's me. And and they kind of <laughs> laugh it off. And so because it's happening to everybody, it's okay. But it's like, you know, if you were to go to a social event, you know, would you want that to happen? Would you, you know, if, if every time you chuckled, like you lose a little, you know, what happens if you go to a girl's night? Or what happens if you and hubby go on a date or something? And, you know, you're having a great time and you chuckle. Yeah. You know, like, that's not cool. Like, you know, you got your sexy outfit on, you know, that's not what you want to be thinking about when you got on sexy outfit. Oh, right? yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, having these things addressed is, is very important and understanding and recognizing that it doesn't have to be your new normal. Yeah. Oh, thank you for that. Then the next thing that I want to talk about is that it seems to be the next like normal sort of blanket fix that women get told is do some kegels, just do some kegels, right? This is like Mm -hmm. a thing that I've heard a million times. Oh, you want to avoid having, you know, you want to have a good birth, do your kegels now in your pregnancy. Oh, you're having problems with incontinence after birth, just do some kegels, you know? So can we talk about kegels for a second? Do they work? How do you feel about kegels? Oh, kegels were a thing that I could burn. I'd burn them. I put them in a big old bonfire and burn them. Um, so that's how I feel about kegels. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think, I think so with anything, we can't, we can't just put a bandaid on it and we can't be cookie cutter. Everybody, you know, you can have people with the same symptoms. You can have people, um, you know, with similar complaints, but for different reasons. So if, for example, when we're talking during pregnancy, Um, Do I want people to have a strong pelvic floor? I I always want people to have a strong pelvic floor. What I want more so than anything is I want people to have increased awareness um, of the muscles in that area. Mm. And I want people to have great coordination. Because when you're preparing for delivering a baby, I don't want you doing kegels. I don't want you shortening and tightening the pelvic floor muscles because in order to get that baby out, we need to lengthen and stretch and elongate those muscles. So it's kind of counterintuitive. Oh, wow. So I kind of actually don't want you doing that. Um, And so oftentimes people are told, do kegels, do kegels, do kegels. And especially in women who have already had a hard time, like, you know, maybe had a history of pelvic pain, um, maybe had a history of painful intercourse. Um, they're already, they already have a tendency towards, you know, shorter muscles in that area, more tightening of those muscles. Those are definitely not the people that I want doing that anyway. Same thing after pregnancy, even though we do have instances whereby there can be some pelvic floor weakness as a result of pregnancy, as a, as a result of childbirth, we have to look at what's going on on a whole with the individual. So if we've got issues where, let's say, somebody's got um, scarring, somebody's got a lot of pelvic pain postpartum, do I want to go ahead and tighten, 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 shorten, shorten, shorten? No, they're already aggravated. So again, we want to work on, you know, some down training. We need to be able to relax. We need to be able to coordinate. We need to be able to lengthen before. Before we start actively strengthening and that strengthening can take different forms because being able to coordinate muscles is in and of itself 
a type of strengthening. It's not just squeeze, 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 but we have to be able to coordinate whether we're coordinating with breath, movement, whatever have you. Um, the other thing even beyond that is, you know, being able to, because moving muscles or, or strengthening muscles or contracting muscles in isolation will only get you so far because we're, you know, we move, you know, there's, we're functional beings. Like we got a lot of stuff to do in our day. We want to make sure that when we're doing anything that we can incorporate that into what we're doing on a normal day-to-day basis, whether it's our general movements, whether it's our fitness and our activities. So in and of itself, kegels, no, they're definitely not for everyone. They do have a place. Um, but again, that's going to be dependent on the individual and dependent on what they've got going on. Um, you know, that would be when we would, we would determine when and, and how to appropriately administer those. Wow. <sighs> It's great. I mean, it's great to hear this, you know, um, cause there is something a little bit maddening about the idea that there's just this sort of like one little thing that you can do. So I saw that you also offer birth prep and doula services, which is so cool mm-hmm. with all the skills that you have and the information that you can give people is amazing. A lot of people are having to find a doula online these days because of the pandemic. And do you mm-hmm. offer any of your services virtually for people? Yep, absolutely. I offer all my services virtually, um, doula, physical therapy, any of the wellness coaching for moms um, during pregnancy and postpartum. So I offer all those services virtually. And then for my moms who are local, then they get the benefit of in person if necessary. Wow. I know that you're a mother, right? Yep. I got two little ones. (laughs) And would you say that your own birth experience has informed your work in a lot of ways? I absolutely believe that it has with my daughter, even with as much as I knew, what shocked me the most was the lack of information coming from the medical providers. Mm. What also shocked me was being in the hospital and having her where it was an environment of we're going to do to you. But there wasn't, for example, I had one nurse coming up to me at one point in time with syringe. I'm like, what is that for? Well, we're going to give you, um, I I don't even remember what she was trying to give me. I even know that they came up to me at one point in time because she was like, we're going to start an IV. Why are you starting an IV? I don't want an IV. Mm. Well, we're going to, and it was kind of this forceful nature. And I was like, no, Mm. you know, so I think, I think my experience has shaped a lot of how I am with my patients and how I like to educate them because I want them to know. I want them to be informed. I want them to be able to make decisions, but make decisions on the basis that they have all the information and that they're educated and then they can turn around and make the best decision for them. Um, you know, for example, today I had a mom who was here and um, we were doing some birth prep work, you know, her and her spouse. And it was great. Um, and one of the things I was telling them was like, if you know, you know, when to go to the hospital, especially if you know that you want the epidural. And she was like, well, do you encourage getting the epidural? I said, no, that's not my choice. That's something you have to determine. And you may say that you don't want one and then the pain comes and then you do decide that you want one. But if either way, you know, being at the hospital at this particular point in time, will allow for you to have that option available to you. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, you want to make sure you have options available. You can choose whatever you want and you choose what's best for you, but know that you have the options available. Yeah. Yeah. That is, you know, there's this, there's this idea in them when you're in any sort of 
medical situation, right? In a hospital that they're in charge and that they're just Mm going to do what's best for you. And you're just going to trust them. And yes, to a certain degree, you have to trust your medical care providers, right? But you're absolutely right. You have to be informed with all of the options and know that Mm -hmm. you can, and it is your right to say, hey, wait, hold on a second. What is that? Or ask for more time or, you know, Mm -hmm. so that's invaluable. Did you have both your children in a hospital? I did. Yeah. My second one almost didn't make it to the hospital. The doctor still wasn't there by the time we got there. So we... It was funny. We, um, I had precipitous labor because I started that morning. I went for a walk and I was like, Ooh, contractions. Yay. And I will say I was very blessed. My, my deliveries were super easy, you know, not painful. I was, I was extremely happy. You know, I went for a walk with my son and my contractions went from every 10 minutes to like every four minutes within about an hour and a half. Wow. And so needless to say, I called my husband because I was like, that's kind of quick. Yeah. And this is baby number two. So I called my husband and he came home and probably in another hour and a half, it went right back up to about eight minutes. And I was like, oops, mm. sorry, babe. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so we were there and I walked and, you know, I was doing exercises. I was on the ball. I was cleaning. I was just active. I was just moving around. And I had an appointment with my OB that day and I went to see her. And when I went into the office, as I, as she was talking, I had a contraction. And then she kept talking and I had another contraction. I was like, Ooh, wait a minute. (laughs) She's like, um, she's like, you're going to the hospital. And she went ahead and checked me. She's like, you're going to the hospital. I'm like, why? I'm hungry. I need to go home and eat. (laughs) And she goes, no, you're, you're, you're like five centimeters dilated. Believe face. You, you might want to go to the hospital. I'm like, Oh, but, but I'm really hungry though. (laughs) And so like, like, okay, take your butt to the, I will be there because her office was about 10 minutes away. And, you know, so I'm like, okay, fine. If I have to, you know, but you know, I always got my little snack bag anyway. Mm-hmm. And so we get to the hospital. Well, like we got there and we were in the room. I was talking to my mother-in-law, my husband, like within 30 minutes of me getting there, my son was out. My doctor hadn't made it. She was stopped at the traffic light. Wow. You know, so it was just, you know, we were in there. I was talking to my mother-in-law. My water broke and my two-year-old at the time, she goes, oh, mommy, did you pee pee your panties? <laughs> I was like, yeah, it does look like that, doesn't it? Matt? You, need to pull, you need to pull up. And so everybody had a good laugh. That's great. Yeah, and he was out like 10 minutes later. Wow. I love hearing stories like that. I love it because, you know, I, I've been hearing a lot of more intense, you know, you know, it's like such a spectrum and you just don't know what you're going to get until it happens to you. And that's sort of the craziness of birth, but wow. I was very blessed. That's awesome. That's awesome. Oh, thank you so much for doing this. I just wondered if there's any other sort of parting advice that you'd like to share. You know, I know that's sort of a general question, but, or, you know, great tips, words of wisdom for all the moms to be and the new mothers listening give yourself grace. You know, every, everybody kind of tells you what to do and you've got a whole lot and you want to do everything perfectly. And, you know, give yourself grace, allow, allow your body the time it needs to heal, allow your body the time it needs to rejuvenate, you know, enjoy your babies, you know, they grow up really, really fast. So enjoy the days, kiss them, hug them, snuggle, pinch their cheeks, do all the embarrassing things that they won't let you do when they get older, you know, (laughs) 
take video so that you can use them for blackmail maybe later. Um, <laughs> but, but just, you know, love on your babies, love on yourself. And I think one of the one of the really important things is make sure that you build, start building when you're pregnant, start building your community. If you don't already have one, build your community, build your tribe, build the people that you're going to want around you once you have this baby. If you've already have your had your baby and you don't have that, it's not too late. You know, there are mom groups, there are all sorts of, you know, a lot of clinicians. I know COVID has really kind of put a damper on that, but a lot of clinicians still offer a lot of online, you know, education, birth groups, support groups, different things like that. Um, but reach out to people. Don't be afraid to ask for help if you need it. You know, reach out and, and get the support that you need. Yeah. Could not agree more. That's beautiful. Oh, thank you again. And I'm going to put the links to your website and your podcast and your Instagram page in the show notes. Is there anything else that you wanted to promote or share? Um, no, we offer virtual doula services. So for those mamas who, you know, you know that you can't have a doula in your hospital, it's going to be you and hubby and that's it. And you need some support. You need hubby trained and some comfort measures. We offer virtual support also offer virtual um, therapy services. And so know that, you know, just because we can't be physically there, we can still be there. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. I mean, that's really good to know for a lot of people. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. To learn about how to get in touch with Dr. Jan Martin, visit the show notes and see all the links that I put there for her website, for her Instagram and her podcast as well. And don't forget to do me a solid and rate, review and subscribe. My wish genuinely for you is that you feel empowered and prepared for your entry into parenthood. And my way of sending you love is by making this show. So a great way to send love back to me is just to rate, review, and subscribe. It takes like 10 seconds. I appreciate all of you who have done that. Thank you so much. Follow us on Instagram at birth show for more great content and visit our website. There's tons of great resources on there, birthshow.com. And you can follow me on Instagram at Christy Will. I hope you're feeling healthy and happy and excited about your parenthood journey. I'm your host, Christy Williams, and you've been listening to Birth. This is a Sync Studios production.